This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. Dave and I are both writers, and we are both entrepreneurs. Dave founded CZ Strategy, a messaging and marketing agency, over 20 years ago. In the process, he also created an online community for new nurses, RealityRN, and launched one of the larger fly fishing podcasts, Two Guys in a River, in the fly fishing industry. In between the two, Dave has hatched hundreds of other ideas and written three books. He's an entrepreneur to the core. I also possess a bit of the entrepreneurial spirit. For about 10 years, I've sold vintage as a side hustle while also building my platform as an influencer on Instagram through content creation. Last year, we brought together our unique entrepreneurial skill sets and launched Journey 66. Dave and I know the highs and lows of entrepreneurship. It takes vision, guts, and perseverance. In many ways, writing a book is an entrepreneurial act. Today, Dave and I want to help you think through the entrepreneurial mindset you must have when you go on your book writing journey. So Dave, usually we begin with something we've accomplished over the past week, and I thought I would share something that I've accomplished in my side hustle as it pertains to entrepreneurship, because we know that entrepreneurs are always working on something. So this week or next week, I'm in the process of opening up a new space at Warehouse 55, which is where I sell my vintage wares. Um, I'm moving into this incredible space that's an old elevator shaft, and it probably has about 40-foot ceilings. It's huge, it's very industrial-looking, and it's a lot larger than the three spaces I have currently. So I'm working with my husband to dream up ways to make it a really special shopping experience for my shoppers. So will your wares your the things you're selling will they be what's the word displayed all the way up the 40 <laughs> 40 foot i don't the think 40 foot walls yeah i don't think jerry is that industrious and i don't know if the owner of the shop <laughs> where i rent a space will want it to go all the way up so we'll probably go up about 20 feet we're trying to figure out a way to build some sort of structure in there because right now it's all metal and brick. And so you can't put nails in currently into the wall. So Jerry, my husband, is trying to figure out ways to create a a faux structure of two by fours so that I can hang all the artwork that I like to sell up in that space. So So will it be expanding? Will you actually increase the number of products that you sell through there? I'm hoping to. This time of year, it's really hard to find new merchandise. So I may have to go on a couple of trips down south to get some new merchandise and increase my my amount that I'm able to sell. With COVID and everything, everything is just harder, isn't it? Right. It's so much harder. There weren't any flea markets over the summer. Shops are sporadically open. You have to wait in line even longer at estate sales because they're letting fewer people in. So it's just so much harder. And people just aren't even donating as much for some reason. It's just been really difficult to find vintage. So, Dave, tell me what you have accomplished this past week. 
So I don't know if this is entrepreneurial. I don't think it is. But since this is about where we're making progress, I started to make progress on organizing my flies for fly fishing. Oh, that sounds it's boring. A, it totally <laughs> is boring. It's a huge project. So every time I go fly fishing, I'll stop by a local fly shop and I'll buy some flies. Like I think that I need flies. So I have literally thousands of flies. Now, some fly fishers tie their own flies. I made the decision early on in my fly fishing years and years ago that I wasn't going to tie my own flies simply because I wanted to spend that time doing other stuff fishing, number one, or two, writing, or starting something new. But I didn't want to spend my time tying flies when, in fact, you can just buy perfectly good flies. So I, I don't tie my own flies, but I've got all these fly boxes. Nothing's organized, so I'm organizing it by fly box. I'm organi organizing it by the stage, like nymph, emerger, dry flies. Uh, I'm all, and then So the nymphs and emergers are stages, but then I'm also organizing it by streamers versus terrestrials. Where do you do this organizing? Is it in your living room, garage? Where do you find the space to... <laughs> does Jana get upset with this? Yes, she does, <laughs> much, to her, much to her chagrin uh, or her uh, annoyance. It's on the family room table. Oh, right. That's fun. Yes. it's <laughs> Especially it's, during the holidays, right? Exactly. She has this nice cover on it for Christmas, and I've got my fly box. So I've actually had to pull up... And I actually ran out of fly boxes. So anyway, that's more than you wanted to know. So it's going to be a long project, but hey, I started it. I made progress. How many flies are you looking at organizing total? You said thousands. Are you like 2,000? Yeah, probably 2,000, 3,000 flies. Mm -hmm. And some of them, at some point, I don't even know what they imitate anymore. I'm like, why did I buy that fly? I have no idea. So sometimes at the end... I'll have maybe four or 500 flies that I haven't even organized. I, okay, they're just going to be here in this, this general box that I may never use. <laughs> maybe you can donate them and some yeah, exactly. fly fishing store can come pick them up and resell them. Well, they're about $2.25 <laughs> a fly, so do the math. Right, that could add up to it a does chunk add of up. change so. for sure. Let's talk about the first point that um, we want to make in this episode about the link between being an entrepreneur and a writer. And first and foremost, it's about mindset. When you're an entrepreneur, you have to be willing, first and foremost, to be willing to take a risk and create something from nothing. And that is exactly what you're doing with writing. Right. You're taking something that has never been said and putting your words to it and putting it in a book package. That's right. And you're creating, right? And so you have no validation, external validation, other than you have this idea. Now, yes, your mom might be saying, you need to write a book or your husband might be saying or your spouse might be saying you need to do this but the moment you set out on the journey it's a huge risk it's a risk of ego it's a risk of your sense of self it's a risk of time right and even even for some people money if you're hiring a coach or if you're hiring somebody to publish it for you if you're going the self-publishing route that's right and a lot of writers today, they either join a membership site or they get coaching or they purchase a book on writing. If you've never written before and you're starting from zero, or even if you have written before but you've never written a book before, you'll probably invest, if you're smart, a course, you'll do this or that, something to help you 
to train you. Right, right, right. That involves risk. That means you're throwing out money for which you have no revenue to throw against it or even a, a completed project. Even starting Journey 66 was risky for us because we started out with no email list. We started out with nobody listening to the podcast. Now we have some people listening, but it's it's risky. You're putting yourself out there and you're wondering, why am I even doing this? And will they like it? If we build it, will they come? Right. I mean, all those questions. Absolutely, Journey 66 was a risk. And we've been doing publishing for you know 20 years, but Journey 66 is a training and coaching organizations. So, you know, so everything will be, uh, will be online through courses and membership. That's a completely different product than you and I have ever created before. So there is a lot of risk in that. That reminds me of another story recently, uh, CZ, my other business was, uh, we were asked to, to provide a proposal for a startup and the startup was looking to raise about $10 million. And so it was between us, it was a bake off between us and another firm. We actually ended up not landing it, but I got to talk to some of the founders and there were three of them and they want, went out to raise $10 million. So it was, a, it was going to be a substantive startup and they wanted to launch nationally. And, but all the angel investors that they went to asked this question. So how much of the, how much money are you, the founders putting in of the 10 million? And they said, well, we thought we'd wait to see how much we raise. Well, you can imagine what an angel investor says. You want to take my money and you're not putting in any of your own money? Nobody right. does that. Because when you put money into either your book project or a startup, whatever it is, it means that you have skin in the game. You've and it got means, skin in the game. And it means that you're motivated because who wants to invest, you know, $1,000 on coaching or going to a workshop or a weekend retreat and then not do anything with it? So when you put money into something, then you're more willing to follow through, I think. Absolutely, that's true. And, and I think that's true for startups, I think is true for writers. I think if you are willing and want to write a book, then I think investing in some help somewhere, investing in time, you're going to have to do that if you, and that's risk. That is risk. Yeah. And it also brings us to the component of, it's not just money. You already said this, it's also time. And I think of all the time that I spent building a following on Instagram. So this January, it will mark six years that I've been on Instagram and I'm about at 23 and a half thousand followers and I started out with nothing. So it goes back to that out of nothing came something and I had to start somewhere. But So you started with nothing and now you have 23,000. That's amazing. That's a lot, right? It's almost about 4,000 a year, three and a half thousand a year. But that took a lot of time. It meant that I had to post every single day almost. And I had spent a lot of time engaging others in community. I spent a lot of time thinking about what I was posting, making sure that the content was fresh and engaging. I spent time learning how to take photographs because Instagram is very image driven. So I learned how to use a camera so that my images were the most um, engaging. So it took a lot of time and effort that I spent when I really didn't have any followers to get more followers. And the same is true with, with writing. You're going to have to put in that time and it's a long slog. It is a long slog. Did At any point, did you, I mean, I'm sure you had moments where you thought, what am I even doing? This is stupid. I'll tell you what, there have been periods where I put in less effort and the return was far less. So there have been periods, probably about my fourth year, I just kind of 
I, I just put it in cruise control and I didn't do all those activities that help you grow on a social media platform, which is engaging and doing hosting hashtags and collaborating. And I just kind of phoned it in and my growth really slowed down for that year. I didn't see significant growth. This year, I decided to invest a little bit more effort. I began hosting a hashtag. I did a little bit, a few more collaborations. And with that came more followers. So I think the point is, is that the more I invested, the more I got out of it. And there were times where I, because of just personal things going on, or maybe work was (laughs) a little bit busier, I don't know what, but the, the return wasn't as great when I just put it in cruise control and didn't really put much effort into it. By the way, just a sidebar, what is host a hashtag? What does that mean? <laughs> well, you, yeah. Okay, so on Instagram, you, hashtags are, are king there. That's how people find you. And it's um, one way that you can create community around an idea or a shared hobby. So, for instance, I'm in the vintage space, so... Every Tuesday, I host a hashtag called TQITB, which is an acronym for The Quest is the Best. And we're going through the alphabet A through Z. And once a week, we take the next letter and we say, you know, I'm going on an antiquing road trip and I'm buying. And if it's the week of the B, then you say, I'm buying bird baths, you know, whatever. And you post a picture. And so people then, you know, play the game and they tag the host, which is me. And then suddenly people see your name popping up in all these other people's feeds and then they start to follow you and they play the game and it just kind of creates this avalanche effect. Wow. That's, that's, that's a great tip. (laughs) Right. Host a hashtag. Host a hashtag. (laughs) Yeah. I started to do that at two guys in a river and, uh, one of our decisions early on was what are we measuring in terms of growth? Right. And for us it was subscribers. So I didn't, so it wasn't it wasn't Instagram right, followers. Right, right. It was what do you want? I want podcast subscribers. So we defined what we were trying to grow, and consequently, we didn't focus on our Instagram following. So we ended up with like ten thousand subscribers, unique subscribers to the podcast, and but we only ended up roughly about a thousand Instagram followers. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that what both you and I would agree on is that it takes a good three years to see any sort of of growth, any sort of um, sense of making a real milestone. And I think that can be true with writing a book too. I mean, sometimes it takes a long time for your ideas to germinate and then to actually get into the structuring and then the actual writing and then publishing. You know, people who want to write and publish a book in less than a year, I think are a little bit What's the word? Foolish. And naive. <laughs> naive, yeah. yeah. Because we like to say it takes a thousand days. Maybe you can tell that story. So that phrase, it takes a thousand days, which is a roughly, or that phrase, which is roughly three years, came from when I first started my marketing agency back in 2000. And I was just depressed and I was struggling. It was, I think, the second year. And I was just like, oh man, we're dying. I'm going into my home equity. You know, I'm pulling money from these different places that I've saved through the years to try to survive. And and I walked into the dry in a, into a dry cleaners, and and the guy was from Pakistan, and the guy who ran it, and he had this high pitched uh, Pakistani accent on his on his English, and he was just the nicest guy. But I I just still remember 
he, he looked at me after I was complaining a little bit. He said, you know, Dave, in Pakistan, we say it takes a thousand days to start a business. Hmm. And he was right. And you have to be able to, and we'll talk about persistence, but you have to be able to last that long. And, and so it was right around a thousand days, somewhere around, you know, somewhere between, you know, 800 days and 1200 days, things started to move. And it wasn't like I was enormously successful, but we started to land new clients and we had enough money to make house payment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this idea of, of the time it takes is really true for writing a book. And I think you and I kind of mock that whole thing, write a book in 90 days or even a year. I mean, if you're going to write something substantively, unless you can do it full time, how are you able to do? I mean, right. that's not how my mind works. If you're going to write something great, it's probably going to take you more than a year. Right. And that, t that demands a lot of patience. And over that span, you begin to develop maybe new ideas or something happens and you just think, I, this isn't the same book I want to write. I want to write a different book. And you have to pivot, right? You have to, you have to take the learnings from your life and what you're reading and even what you're writing and be able to say, maybe this isn't the book I want to write and maybe even start over, right? And I thought of that interview we recently did with Kathy Carroll. Right. And she talked about after she had done the first draft, she went back and went, this first draft isn't for the reader. It's boring. And so she, in her next draft, basically rewrote the entire book. That's crazy. So now she's going on. She started in 2016, I think is what she said, the spring yes, of 2016. Right. So, I mean, she's going now on about three years. That's right. Four years that's almost. That's right. She's, yeah. she's getting close. She's getting close. Yeah. But I think she would have a much different book. Her book would not have been good if she didn't slow down and look at it objectively and say, what can make this better? And I think that that takes time. It t for her, it demanded stepping away for it for a long period of time, which slows down the process. So you have to be willing, I think, to be patient and step back and not rush to the publishing phase. That patience is so important to me to write something great. We've said this before, but to, to think is to write, and to write is to think. And so when you're actually writing, when you're writing, your thinking starts to develop. So if you're trying to cram your writing into 90 days, your thinking might not be able to develop well. It also reminds me of our conversation with Sean Shear, Cabinet and Camera, who just published a book in the fall of 2020. And he was talking about how he started investigating writing a book about 10 years ago. He was in conversations with different publishers, and for whatever reason, it didn't quite work out. But over that 10-year span, he continued to develop his own ideas, which is what made his book today so incredibly successful. It's on the, I think it's in one of the top in the top 10 for decorating books currently. So he he used that period of being rejected to develop his ideas and to not just stay stagnant in his thinking. That, to me, is the essence of what we wanted to talk about, which is calling. So, I mean, he has a calling, which is vintage and his design, right? Right, more specifically, how to create authentic interiors using found and antique objects. Yes. He's given his life to this. 
Right. Because he owns a store as well now as being an author. He is passionate about helping people create individual spaces to not go cookie cutter. Even if you have money to not spend extravagant extravagant amounts of money just to create this wow moment that anybody could really do with tons of money. He wants people to be unique. So yeah, that is a calling. He feels passionate about it. It's calling and out of that does come passion. Right, like right. Like the passion to do that. I think those words are almost intertwined. And I think both of those are essential, I think, for great writing. Right. And, and, you, and I are, you and I are passionate about helping authors really create a book that impacts the world, no matter what kind of book of it, it is, whether it's design or mm-hmm. fly fishing or vintage or uh, marketing. It doesn't matter. But if you want to impact the world... There's that sense of calling, and, and I think uh, authors should think about, okay, what, what am I really passionate about? What do I really feel called to? I think when you dig into that, you start to find some great ideas and great content for a book. So back to calling, Dave, since we're talking about entrepreneurs, when you started CZ or over the years, what do you feel like your calling is for CZ? So that is to, is to help entrepreneurial leaders. Yeah. really support them in their initiatives. Yeah. That, that's what it's all about. Right. And that, that's what drives you every day when you Absolutely. come to work. Yeah. If you're not Is doing it, that, then why, why be taking all this risk of payroll and that's overhead? Right. That's and, right. I, I just really love entrepreneurs. And you look at the number of companies that we've worked with through the years that have been startups. It's a lot. And everything from well-funded startups to struggling startups just recently uh, in fact, yesterday I had a call with a company that we're talking to right now. It's a, it's a company of four sisters who are building a cosmetic brand. Mm-hmm. And just listening to them and that excitement about where they're at, they haven't, they've created an initial product, the website and the brand and trying to, I just love that. Mm-hmm. You know, I exist to serve that. Yeah, so when you write that book, going back to book writing, you need that passion and that why whenever you write a book. We were talking with an author yesterday, and we were helping him come to terms with why is he writing this book? And it through the conversation, his passion really kind of dribbled out, and we're like, you need to be tapping into that passion every single time you start to open up the computer and write a sentence because that is what's going to give your words life and separate you from other people in the space that he's writing. His, his passion around that is, is really palpable when you start to, to get him talking about it. And that, that creates energy in your sentences. Right. It and, makes your writing interesting. And it also helps you overcome this self-defeatist attitude like I'm not good enough or I don't have anything unique to say because if you have that passion then it will be unique because that is your voice. Uniqueness comes from passion and calling. And you develop a passion through experiences, right? So chances are if you have experiences then you have really good stories to support your ideas. I recently heard someone who had just published a book, I think he was a some sort of business guy, but he described his of his book as I did it because it's one giant business card. Ugh. 
And I wanted to say something harsh. I didn't. I kept my mouth shut, but I thought, really? What did you want to say? What I wanted to say was, I bet that that's exactly what it is, and it's not worth picking up. Oh, because why? Because when your attitude is like that, then your whole process is broken. Because then it's all about, let's get it out there, because I need I need to either generate business. Like if you're a... You know, you're a small business owner or an entrepreneur and you think it's the book. It's the one thing that you're going to do that's going to be a marketing piece for you. If, if your book is just a marketing piece, it will be short-lived for, for starters. And it just won't have legs long-term. It won't be, it's something that you want to be able to use and be proud of in 10 years. Right. And the problem with that, with the book as a giant business card is that it comes across as kind of salesy and it it goes back to not having probably the stories and the passion undergirding it to really propel you forward and to to really connect with the reader. I probably should add a caveat and say not all books whose author calls them business cards, big business cards are that way, but I bet a lot of them are. Because we do say that often your book is going to create opportunities. Oh, for sure. Absolutely, that's true. But I think you have to be careful that you write the book for the right reasons. Right, right. Talk more about that. Well, I I think you start with, i got to write a great book. Mm. I've got to make sure that this book really reaches the people and serves the people that I want to reach with it. It's kind of like... When you say it's a giant business card, then you're looking purely at the monetary translation, right? And that goes back to even being an entrepreneur. Of course, you want to make money as an entrepreneur, but that's often secondary to the startup, the excitement, the the vision and the passion that gets you going in the first place because you see a vacancy, a void in the world where you can help fill. To me, that is entrepreneurship. I know people do it probably just for the money, but I don't know that you create something great like a Zappos. You know, I heard the the founder recently died. He was such a great leader and he had this great passion for customer service. It was just amazing. Or even Bezos at Amazon. Some of these great startups that have that came from nothing. When you start to to see their vision and their values and Man, it comes out of something much more deep than just simply I want to make money. I think of the conversations that we've had with an author we're working with, and he has done a lot of research with businesses and technology, and he says that the most successful businesses always are deeply in tune to the why and what it's doing for their customers. Yeah, to make customers' lives better. To make customers' lives better. So really, that's a question that you can be asking as you write your book. How is this book going to make the lives of my readers better? There are so many different types of books. There's memoirs, there's fiction, there's nonfiction, there's business nonfiction. uh, There's books about spirituality, health. There's also how-to books. There's more there's books that are more framed, framework books and idea books. There's, there's so many different books. But I think every book needs needs that sense of call for why it's being written yeah. and needs the author's passion to kind of course through the words of the book. 
we've been really lucky to work with authors throughout the year who do have that passion and they, they want to see lives change. So I feel like we may be preaching to the choir here. I feel like a lot of people who are listening to this, they are starting their book project because they are passionate about something. Maybe it, all book ideas start with that. And then over time, I think can, can, uh, that's the only thing to me that can sustain you for the long journey. And the reason we call this journey 66 is because it's a road trip. Right. And, and so you need to be sustained for the road trip. Right. And that passion will sustain you. But let's talk about sustaining yourself on that journey, on that road trip. It takes a lot of self-discipline um, when you're a writer and an entrepreneur. I was just thinking about last night. I had to post for TQIDB Tuesday because today is Tuesday, the day that we're recording. But I also had to post something for this hashtag that I am hosting. And so like at 11 o'clock at night, I... I knew I needed to get whatever I was posting ready to take a picture in the morning when the light was good, but I knew I had to be at work early in the morning. So I'm like, I've got to get this done now. And then I got to get up extra early so I can take the picture in the morning when the lighting is good. So it takes discipline. It takes thinking ahead. It takes just not putting things together at last minute. And it means showing up every single day. We talked with Kathy Carroll last week, and she talked about it's easy to schedule time to write. It's easy to schedule time to do an Instagram post or do a podcast or, you know, whatever it is. But it's it's even, it's more difficult to honor that time, to, to actually honor, do it. Yeah, to honor the time. I thought that was a great nuance. It was a great uh, way to say that it's not just scheduling. It's not just scheduling an intention, Right. You can intend to do all the right things, but if you keep on putting it off or pushing it to the next day, it will likely never really get done. With Two Guys in a River, the podcast, Steve and I, who was my co-host, Steve was my co-host, we, we published one episode every week for four years. So we never missed an episode, ever. Whoa, ever. Whoa, So we never had a week where we went, oof. We're not going to publish one this week because we screwed up and we just couldn't get it done. And I bet some of those episodes were better than others. Oh my gosh. Yes. Some of them were thin. Some were like amazing. Right. And the days that they were amazing were probably some days that you didn't feel like showing up. Yes. And there were two things. One, we batch recorded. Mm-hmm. But the hard part was actually my, was my job because I did the production side. So I, I actually edited every podcast. So... Every morning, Saturday morning or Sunday morning, I would get up early, or I'll, I don't know if early, but seven, and before everybody else got up and I would edit the podcast. Yeah. It would take me about an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours, depending on if we had an interview with someone. But that discipline, here's what happened, is that you can't, especially with podcasts, you can't really sustain and build a following if you don't publish regularly. The same is true with writing, right? You right. can't you can't build momentum in your writing for the book if you don't write regularly. And so it took right at that four year mark is when we hit. It was actually at the three year mark, but then at the, the it was another full year of publishing regularly. We hit ten thousand, and it was at that point Steve and I said, uh, "I think we're done." So we <laughs> took a break, and then we last year we published uh, about twenty five episodes in a row, yeah. and then we have taken the season off because fly fishing is 
spring sport. it is spring summer fall it's not really a winter even though steve and i fly fish in the winter time so we've taken time off and we may pick it up again but it we we made the decision that we're not trying to build anymore but man that discipline it's messy when you don't want to do it like you and you it's 11 o'clock at night but you you've got you've got to do it right right because you have committed to something for one, you committed to Steve, you committed to the podcast, you committed to the listeners who expect something new every week. I'm committing to this group of people who are playing along with this hashtag. And so there's a sense we talked earlier on about, you know, deadlines and accountability. And I think, you know, that that's something that you need when you're in startup. You need that accountability so that you keep on going. And sometimes it looks, it's not like having an accountability partner, but it's just, I'm going to show up because people are expecting me to show up. Or if I don't show up, this is never going to get done. If you've only worked in corporate and you have the structure of corporate, you have to learn a whole nother set of skills to write and be disciplined to write. Tell me more about that. What, what is the corporate mindset? So the corporate's all good. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that you, you, go, to, you know, go to the office, turn your computer on. You have things to do. You have meetings to go to or meetings to set up if you're a leader. There's already structure in place for your day. If you're in a startup situation, there's no startup. There's no, you know. No structure. There's no structure. That's why all startups, they all wear blue jeans because there's, you know, there's no protocol yet about what to wear to the office. <laughs> and, but with writing, let's say you decide that you're going to to write 90 minutes for four days a week. There's nobody telling you to do that. There's nobody saying when to do that. So do you write like I did it with Death by Suburb. I wrote from roughly 9 to 1030 at night. Sometimes it was 10 to 1130. Sometimes it was 1130 to 1 a.m. But you have to find when you're going to do it, when it's going to be most productive for you. And so that there's no structure telling you that. One, there's no structure in place. You have to create the structure. And then there's nobody holding you accountable, really. Right. And that kind of gets to the idea of it can be lonely. You're doing this all on your own. You're not, unless you have a partner for like a podcast like you had with Steve, but even that, you're editing the podcast on your own. Steve isn't there with you and no. you can feel totally alone. And with writing a book, often you are in this void where your thoughts are the only thoughts that you have and you're not bouncing ideas off of everyone and you feel really alone and you feel often like giving up. And if you don't have that support system, it's it's incredibly isolating. I think it was Ernest Hemingway that after he completed a book, he would go on these two to three week drinking binges. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, literally, I think he just was like comatose for for weeks on end. And some of that, I think part of it, he may have been an alcoholic, but right. some of it may have been, it, it, some of it is, I think the stress and just the relief at being done and, and, and all of a sudden the isolation's over, right? Kind of the self-isolation that's over, but, uh, I do think it is lonely, and I think you should expect it to be lonely. And I think there is f- support that you can have. That's important. But at the end of the day, you got to sit down and write. It's your words. It's your words. It's your words. And it's going to take, like we said, it's going to take a thousand days. Maybe not exactly a thousand days, but it's going to take time, and it's going to take perseverance. And you talk about writing your book, Death by Suburb. It took you 10 years and two publishers. Is that right? It did. 10 years and two publishers. I mentioned this in a previous episode, but 
I actually fired uh, my initial publisher and because of their response to several of my drafts and I actually took back my rights from it. I sent them the advance back and said that if you cash the check, I will get the rights back. Well, they cashed the check. They never responded to me. And then I published it with someone else. And uh, for, and I was just fortunate, honestly, that I was able to publish it with someone else. But that perseverance through that, I thought at that point I was done. Yeah. And so it's easy for me to talk about it now, like, oh, that's just one milestone along the journey. No, at that point, I thought I was done, and I thought I'll never publish this book. But then there was a couple serendipities and ended up publishing it with a different publisher, and you know I was fine. But I, I, I do want to encourage uh, encourage our listeners, if there's one takeaway from this, it's the perseverance. Right. Think of in CZ's strategy how many, just with the initial years and how hard it was to land those first, first oh clients, gosh. right? It's... That takes incredible perseverance to keep on moving forward when you don't know where your next client is going to come from and you begin to question, why am I doing this in the first place? But you keep on going every day. You do the activities that generate contacts and referrals and marketing leads. Yeah. I. <laughs> so we are as busy as we've ever been right now right, right. in our business, even after... 20 years, I still think in my head, every time I land a new client, the noise in my head is what? It's, I'll never land another client. Right. That's how, I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, I need to, I need therapy to work it out. I was talking to my wife, Jana, the other day, we were talking about this and I said, you know what I'm thinking? She goes, yeah, I know exactly what you're thinking after all these years. You're thinking things are too good. You know, you'll never land another client again. I said, that's exactly right. Right. <laughs> Well, it's good to be in a too good spot, but not if you can't emotionally process it. But, <laughs> but again, it, it's that the noise in our head when we're writing is the same. It's like, you know, where will I get this out into the world? If you're writing the book, then it's who's going to publish this? And then you get a publisher and then it's how many, am I going to sell any copies? Is anybody going to write it? Are there going to be bad reviews? Will this change my life? There are always those questions in your head that percolate to the surface when you're writing a book. That raises another question. We should do an episode on bad reviews. Oh, we should. Yeah. Do you have some? I, I've had bad reviews both on the fly fishing book and Death by Suburb, for sure. Yeah. And I don't have any book reviews, but I definitely have gotten some feedback from some articles that I've written and even some things that I've posted on Instagram. So that would be a fun. That would be a fun episode. Yeah, it's part of it's part of being out there in the world. If you want to be out in the world with words or with social media, you better be able to withstand the comments. Right. So the last thing I want to talk about is pivoting. With CZ, we've had to pivot our business model through the ages to adjust to just where the market is really. So um, can you talk a little bit about that and then also how it relates to pivoting when you're writing a book? With any startup, what you initially think and what you plan in terms of your marketing plan, your strategic plan, they're all lies. Hmm. In the sense of you have an idea what you want to create, you create a plan to do it, but immediately when, you, when it hits the real world, it's, it's not what you thought. And so you have to make continual adjustments. Right. And you can call it pivoting. You can call it learning fast. You can call it adapting quickly. 
You can call it failing fast. You know, fail fast is a cliche. But you have to change. And so the immediate, immediately when you start a new business, you're making changes. Right. And so how does that relate to writing, do you think? Because your initial idea sometimes for your book, it, it takes you in a completely different direction than what you thought. Right. So you might, your thesis might be this, it might be this. You think you're going to write about a book about leadership and you end up realizing, I don't really, it really isn't about leadership. The, the book is around conflict, which is one aspect of being a leader or something like that. Or we're working with one author who first thought she was writing a book to mothers, a parenting book, but really it's about deeper spiritual transformation and it actually could apply to many different types of people. So that's a huge change. Huge change. And so you have to listen to yourself and listen to what you want to write about, or as you start to write, go, this is what I think the book is. Right, right. And that's scary. We talk about that often. Starting over, getting rid of words that you've laid down is never fun because you feel like you have to, again, create something out of nothing. And that's that entrepreneurial spot again where you're going back to ground zero, starting from scratch, creating something from nothing, and we never like to be there. There might be a few people who, who uh, thrive on that, but most of us struggle to create new and then to adjust once you create. I think structure is one of those things. You think your book is going to be laid out one way. I remember with Death by Suburb, I thought I had the book completely done, and I realized there was a chapter missing. And so it was chapter four, which eventually became chapter four. So even though I had created the manuscript and... I had almost everything done. I realized, oh, there's a gap here and I need to write another chapter. Well, another 4,000 words when you've already written 40 or 50,000 words, you're thinking, I can't even do that. What am I even going to say? But I had to do it because it didn't flow without it. Right, right, right. So let's sum up like the top principles about being a entrepreneur writer. <laughs> it's takes a thousand days, meaning in short, it takes perseverance. It does. And I think that just captures everything. Perseverance, discipline, starting over, failing fast, learning quickly, what, whatever it takes. It, and I, it's also really wonderful. I know some, some of this was, you know, how hard it is, but it's actually really wonderful. It's a wonderful journey. It's wonderful. We both can attest to that. Think about where you're at now with McGillicuddy. Right. Lots you've, of wonderful opportunities. Oh, my have goodness. Come from that. Yep. You've had your home featured in multiple magazines. Multiple magazines. What was that one? Country Homes and Living? or Con Country Living and then Flea Market Style magazine. So, both of those. I've been able to contribute some articles to different magazine styles, some photo shoots, things that I've always wanted to do. So, it's led to some incredible opportunities and just meeting incredible people, too, which is what I really love about um, my business is just connecting stories to the items that I'm selling and making that connection for other people. And that's what we aspire to. And that's, we have to hold on to that when we're in the middle here or when we're early in startup, right? right Is right. that day in which you're experiencing the joy of what you've created. Right, right. You got to live in that for a moment. You've got to live in that. <laughs> All right. So let's turn in conclusion to our words of the episode. And I'll go first. This is a word that my son and I learned a few years ago and one that we toss around just because we think it's fun to say. And you can actually use it in a sentence. He sometimes uses it in his creative writing and it's called willow wax. 
and it's a wooded, uninhabited area. It's a little out there, but it's fun to say willow wax. So I'm going to go hiking out in the willow wax, or I, he got lost in the willow wax. It's just a fun word. Now, I have never even heard of that word. I hadn't either until Davis, who also likes words, introduced me to it. And so now we like to kind of playfully use it. That's great. Your words are so much better than mine. Mine are kind of average, so I'm feeling insecure. Well, like how often will you use the word willow wax, though, really? I don't know. The other one, <laughs> the, the other two that I remember you did recently were plangent and murmuration. Murmuration, yeah. Those are, and I, yeah, I still really like those words. <laughs> and also the Duchenne smile. Yes, that's right. Another one. <laughs> So maybe I have grown in my That's vocabulary. That's right. Well, it's good to be always growing in your vocabulary. So my word is mercurial. That's a mercurial. good one. So it's, it is a common word, but it's wonderful when you can use it in a sentence or as you're writing. And it really, it's kind of a characteristic of someone who is, who has these sudden and unpredictable mood changes. Are you mercurial, Dave? Ooh. <laughs> I don't think I am. I don't think I am. That would be a great question to ask your family because they would be the or my family because they would see me as I really am. Because when you're out in the world, you're nice to everyone. Right. So it's hardest sometimes to be nice to the people you love or, right. or you're supposed to love. Uh, but I think I, I don't think I'm mercurial. I think I am. I think my, I know my, my son and my husband would call me mercurial. Merc, how do you say it? Mercurial. Mercurial. Okay. So would that mean that it's it, it changes from day to day, then that's mercurial, or is it moment to moment? Well, I think day to day, definitely, but also I could be happy in the morning and then just like, you know, upset in the evening or, you know, a little bit melancholy or whatever, you know, and they don't know what happened. Of course, they're guys, they're dudes, so they aren't really in tune to, <laughs> to my emotional swings. But of, of the three in our family, I'm definitely the more mercurial. <laughs> so there's six in our family plus our dog. So there's three women and three guys. Oh my gosh. And a dog that's a woman, so a female. So there's really four females and three guys. So we get every emotion. You do at any given time. There's some emotion going on. At and your I think house. the guys are worse than. The, I really think, in our family, my wife, my daughter Kira, my daughter Jalen. I think they're really steady. Steady. They're not mercurial at all. Now the, oh my gosh, my two boys, Lord. <laughs> will they listen to this podcast? And will they know. agree with you? <laughs> and they're getting better now that they're out of their teen years. But man, their teen years. Goodness gracious. Yeah. yeah. Mercurial really defines one of them. I won't even say who. So, uh, but it, it is a good word and I think you should use it uh, next time you write. Yeah. Next time you write or you're at a dinner party. How's that? Yeah. One of your holiday <laughs> Zoom. Cocktail conversations. Cocktail conversations. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to a close. I think that is a wrap. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. <laughs> <laughs>